uh, yesterday. I'm, I'm going to mention them tonight as well, I believe, in the message I'm going to preach. Uh, but uh, I went, I had the opportunity uh, yesterday, they're good friends of mine, go see Shelly and Ron Hamilton, Patch the Pirate. And of course, he has Alzheimer's, and, uh, and he's far down the road. Uh, he still recognized me. He still knew who I was. He does have no clue that I visited him yesterday. But uh, he, does, he, he remembered me, and he, you know, it was, we had a really good time. But one thing I thought was really cool, young people, um, I started quoting uh, some scripture to him, but I wouldn't finish the, the verses. We did Psalm 34, uh, and Shelly's in tears, you know, she was just crying. But it was so, matter of fact, she videotaped it, because it was so cool. I start the verse, Ron, Ron finished the verse. And I want to tell you something. Your mind may go one day, but you get that scripture down in your heart. It'll be there forever. And God does something about getting that scripture in your mind. It is a good thing that you're, that you're memorized. We even did something else. I said, hey, Shelly, let's do the Christmas story. Let's do Luke chapter 2. So we went over to Luke chapter 2, and I started reading the Christmas story. And I mean, Ron just, I mean, he had it. He had it. It was the coolest thing in the world. And uh, just a real joy. But it's important to get God's word into your heart in that. Hey, I got one other question for you. And stand up on this one because it's really important. I got some guys in the back that are going to help me. So guys, if you get in place there. If you did not get a sheet that says victory over temptation, would you stand up real quick? You did not get. Hey, my men did a good job. Well, maybe, maybe not as good as I thought. <laughs> All right, you stay standing. I got three guys running around. They'll get you those. You hold on to that. Uh, keep standing until you get one. Really, it's really important that you have that. Actually, the guys did a great job today. They took the initiative. They saw the need. They took the lead, and they helped me hand all these things out. Probably, if you're standing, you got here late is the reason. So, uh, But anyways, victory over temptation is what we're going to look at. Uh, a couple things I want to talk to you uh, about before we get to our passage. Remember, we turn to our passage right now. I want you to turn to Jeremiah chapter 18. Now, I have followed the devotional guide every day, and, uh, and I've loved it. I just love your God and I time booklet. And today you're going to look at Psalm 93, and you're going to see God as your king, and he needs to be the king. He's going to set up his kingdom one day on this earth, but right now he wants to be, he wants to set up his kingdom in your heart. That would be the Sermon on the Mount. How do I live with God as the king of my heart? Well, that'd be Matthew 5, 6, and 7 kingdom living here on earth and the lord wants to set up that kingdom in your heart because he is the king he should be your authority you're going to look at that you're going to see him king over creation we got two girls right here i don't three girls i don't want them to be embarrassed any longer get over here with some things and uh and guys give them yours then okay and oh we got them 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 them there okay um But God wants to be your king, he deserves to be your king, and he's not only your shepherd and your Abba, he's also your king. And you'll enjoy that in Psalm 93, some really good questions uh, to answer. But I have to tell you something, in making God king over your heart, he definitely expects you to live a victorious life. And I am very burdened about equipping you to go home with some sanctification principles that will help you and to give you victory. I got to tell you, I do have another burden as well. Some years ago, uh, well, eight and a half to be exact, eight and a half years ago, I did a huge step. I took a huge step of faith. 
And I stepped out of the pastorate. Now, that was a big deal for me. Because I believe God gave me a pastor's heart. And I pastored for 25 years. Before that, I was a youth pastor for seven years. So everything in my life was pastor, 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 pastor. But for the last eight and a half years, I did something because I believe it's so important. You'll sense that tonight when I preach. I think you will. And I really will tell you, if you asked me of everything I'm going to preach this week, if you asked me, why did you come to the wilds? It was for the message I will preach tonight. Because I believe that the next generation has got to get it together. You got to get off your apathy and you got to get in the race and you got to get in the ministry. Now, whether that's full-time ministry, 24-7, your profession, whatever, the fact of the matter is, as a Christian, every one of you have got to be in ministry. And you say, well, yeah, yeah, but the only problem is, Brother Schiller, you're talking to a 16-year-old, okay? Yeah, well, 16-year-old, it's time to build and plant, be useful. It's time to be fruitful. Come on. It is time for you to start living for the Lord Jesus Christ. And if there was a reason why I came here, it is to get some of you charged up about going back and being an impact, salt and light in this world. Hey, the darker the night, the brighter the light. And you guys need to start shining what you are in your faith. We need a generation of young people that are going to stand up and say, you know what, I'm all in. I'm going to live for God, and I'm going to quit looking at myself, and I'm going to quit wondering. You know one thing I never do? This just bothers me to death. Everyone goes up to high school seniors, and they say, so what are you going to do? So what are your plans? So what do you, go, what do you, want, to want, what do you want to do? No, 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 no. I never ask that question, because that is a wrong question. Let me tell you something. It's not about what you want to do. The question is, senior that just graduated, what does God want you to do? Where does God want you to go? It isn't about, well, what do you want to do? No, it's about what does God want you to do? And young people, we need to start understanding. We are not here for ourselves. We are here for our creator, our father, our shepherd, our king. And we are servants of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And it is not about what you want to do in life. It is about what does God want you to do. And I'm going to tell you something. If you do what God wants you to do, that is the greatest life you will ever have in your entire life. So, eight and a half years ago, I took a huge step. I stepped out of the pastorate to join with a Bible college. Because I believed that what we're going to do in a classroom and what we're going to do on a campus with the next generation is the most important thing I can do with my life. I don't know everything that the Lord's going to do with me in my future, and I am getting a little bit older. But I do want to tell you something. I strongly recommend that every person that can hear my voice right now ought to seriously consider at least one year at a Bible college, a Christian college, that you take a year to get grounded. You might find your wife. I know I did. Most people do. You might find your husband. You might find that special one that you're going to be in ministry and live together. Marilee and I chose Psalm 34.3. This is one of the verses that Ron gave yesterday. It was so good. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Now, I love Marilee. But I will tell you, Marilee and I married because we wanted to exalt. We wanted to become a team, 
and exalt the Lord together. And young people, I got to tell you, Bible college is big time stuff. And I don't give you going in the military. Matter of fact, if you're going in the military, you need to go to a Bible college for a year and get grounded in your faith before you go to the Air Force, before you go to the Army. Uh, I, I, I will tell you this, that the future, it's so cool to come to a, a week like this. And I really believe I will leave tomorrow morning very early, and I will believe, God, I did my part to equip I gave the messages I thought would help these young people for the rest of their life. But I'm telling you, you cannot live your life off of a week at the wilds. It just isn't going to happen. You've got to be in a place that you're discipled and that you're mentored. And by the way, I want to tell you this. Uh, every Bible, look into them. Right now you live in a country that's got really good Bible colleges. Every counselor that's here that's going to a Christian college, um, a Bible college, um, that you're getting a biblical worldview, and you're going to that kind of college right now, or university, or, or college, or whatever, would you stand to your feet right now? You're, you're going right now. Every, every counselor that, that's going to a place like that. Now, let me tell you something. You're silly, camper, not to talk to these young people about where they go and what they're getting. Now, they're not really supposed to tell you about their college and everything, because that's one of the cool things about the wilds. But I'll tell you what, if you ask them, they can tell you. And I would, I would definitely encourage you to talk to these young people about what they're getting, where they're going, and what it's like. I definitely would. Because young people, you're never going to keep to the decisions at the wilds if you don't get to a place after high school that you can continue to grow. Thank you. Thank you, counselors. I'll talk about you guys a little bit more tonight. But thank you guys uh, uh, so much. And thank you for giving your, your summer and by the way, he said, well, I'll never afford college. Hey, you know what? None of those people standing right now can afford college either. But they still took a step of faith to say, you know what? I'm going to serve the Lord at the wilds this summer. And it is amazing. Where God guides, God provides. And he really does. Now, I will tell you one of the, one of the not advantages of West Coast is our cost. We're pretty expensive. I'm just being honest with you. We're about $13,000, $14,000. But you know what I think is amazing? is how God provides for our students. I, I don't think there's 10 students that just happen to come with enough money in a year. Almost our entire student body. But by the way, one thing that's cool about California, there's a lot of bad things about California, but minimum wage is not one of them. I mean, all of our students make $14, $15, or $16 an hour, and nobody in California wants to work. They want to be given everything, so our students get all the jobs in the world, and they really do. And it is amazing how God provides for our, 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 our student body. So listen, wherever God leads you, if God God's God, God will provide. Don't ever let money or miles be an obstacle to God's will for your life. Now, every Bible college has their own differential advantages. I mean, whatever it might be. The, the, the facilities, their place, whatever it might be, their cost, whatever it might be, everyone has their differential advantages. Hey, let me tell you about West Coast. I think West Coast has too, that they're just really special. And I've been around the block a little bit. I've never seen it like this, like exactly like this at West Coast. Number one is the relationship between the student body and the faculty and staff. I've just never seen anything like that. Uh, there is an availability and there is a mentoring between our faculty and staff and our students that's very close. Um, there is that position 
And there is that relationship, so we're not a bunch of bunch of friends. But I will tell you, I think almost all students at West Coast will tell you the bond between them and their instructors is a very close bond. Uh, I just want to tell you this. I've been there eight and a half years. We have had over 4,000 young people in our home in the last eight and a half years. We have college students at our house constantly. And I think there's a, there's a touch there. There's a mentoring there that can't be done in a classroom. So I think that's one differential advantage we have. And the other, I just got to tell you, I just love our church. Uh, there's just something about Lancaster Baptist Church. There is not, and I know you're thinking I'm exaggerating. I'm telling you, I am not. There is not a Saturday, Sunday that you will not see people walk the aisle to get saved. And I'll tell you, very, very rarely will you not see somebody get baptized and I got to tell you, it is the coolest thing to see these families get baptized. They're all tattooed up. They're every color of skin. They're every kind of person you could imagine. And almost every week, people are getting baptized at Lancaster Baptist. And that's so good for those college students to see that. And they're all part of those ministries, whether it's the bus ministry or whether it's Sunday school or whatever. I think that our church and I think that our relationship are two great advantages. Now you say, well, Brother Scheller, uh, the only problem with West Coast is I don't think I'm going to go into ministry. Well, I got to tell you, most of our students that come don't know that they're going into ministry at all. But they want to find God's will for their life. Some of them come for a one-year Bible program, and then they leave afterwards, and they go into whatever they're going to be. I want to encourage you to look at Bible colleges. And if you are interested, I talk to the powers that be. If you are a junior, senior, and definitely, if you're a recent graduate and you're possibly open to West Coast, I, I asked if I could hand out some materials afterwards, just before you go to God Night Time. So all junior, seniors, now you don't have to come to this, but if you're a junior, senior, you just graduated, and you could be interested in West Coast, I get, to, I get to talk to you for about five minutes and give you a little information if you're interested. So that'll be at the end of God nighttime. All right, take your Bibles. Are you in Jeremiah chapter 18? Jeremiah chapter 18. Now let me tell you about Jeremiah 18. I do a lot of counseling. And uh, in all the counseling I do, there's two major passages that I always quote. Number one is James 1.5. If any man lack wisdom, that would be me. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally. I do not counsel anybody about anything. If they want to change their roommates, I don't, it doesn't matter what it is. I always quote James 1.5. Lord, I do not know how to separate the right from the wrong here. I do not know wisdom, but you do. So uh, by faith, uh, nothing wavering, I'm going to ask you, God, give me wisdom on knowing what to do. So um, I always do James 1.5. I'll tell you the other verse. That comes up a lot because of people's past. And this is a great verse to go home on. Is Jeremiah chapter 18. Now Jeremiah chapter 18 verse 1. This is a great passage on the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. Oh, this is a classic. Uh, whenever, I, whenever somebody's struggling either with the free will of man or the sovereignty of God, I take them to Jeremiah 18. Because we see it so clearly here. Look at this. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. So, so I already love this passage because I'm so big on visuals. I just love object lessons. And, and God's going to say, hey, Jeremiah, I'm going to teach you a great object lesson here. Look, look at this. So he goes down to the potter's house. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheel. And the vessel, now this is it, man. I'm telling you. 
This is the verse of all verses to go home with. And the vessel that he made of clay, this is the potter, the sovereign potter, was marred in the hand of the potter. It was messed up. Either he didn't put it on right, there's a stick, there's a stone, there's something in the clay. The clay is messed up. Now, I don't know about you, but you, are, you have been preached to this week by a marred vessel. I just want you to know that. I am here to tell you, you are looking at a marred vessel. But look at what he does. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred. And where, by the way, it was marred where? In the hand of the, everyone together, potter. Isn't that something? It was marred. And you know what? I have been out of the will of God, but I have never been out of the hands of God. I have been out of his will in my life, but I have never been out of his care. Isn't it interesting? In the hands of the potter, the, the clay was marred. That's that free will stuff. And the, fr- and the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So, it's got to be one of the best passages in the Bible. He made it again. Another vessel. This is what our God does. He makes again another vessel. One of the things that blows me away is how a 17-year-old girl can tell me their life is ruined. You're 17, girl. How a 15-year-old guy says, you know what, there's no hope, man. It's over, man. I have totally messed up my life. You're 15 years old. Guys, my God specializes in taking marred vessels and making them again. Oh, yeah, okay, but you know, Brother Scheller, We're never kind of like the same. Read the next part of the verse. So he made it again, another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. If that isn't the coolest thing in the world. In other words, what ended up coming off the wheel was exactly what God wanted. Now I want to tell you the coolest thing about this. God can take whatever you feel has marred your life and actually make it a part of the vessel. He can actually make it a part of the vessel and to his honor and his glory. This is where he gets the glory with his grace. Is that he takes a marred vessel, he takes that terrible past of yours, and he makes it as part of your vessel and actually uses it for his honor and his glory. Listen, if you've had some things happen to you in the past, Do you know he can make you again another vessel and actually even use your past for his honor and his glory? Wow, is that cool. Now, some of you are sitting out there with your free will exactly like the people of Israel. So he said, hey, then the word of the Lord came to me saying, oh, house of Israel, can I not do with you as his potter? I am sovereign God. And you know what? But he tells them, go back, Jeremiah, and preach this to them. And in their free will, they can come back to me. And they can, they can, in their depravity, they can come. But look what happens, verse 12. And they said, there is no hope. Oh, you fools. There's no hope. There is always hope with the potter. There's always hope. Well, I don't think there's any hope. Some of you are going to get on a van Get in a minibus 
get in a bus and go home and you spent the whole week here and you still don't have any hope. Oh, that is a tragedy of all tragedies because there is hope with God. There is always hope with God. And whoever you are, no matter what's happened in your life, he can make again another vessel and seem good to the potter to make it. You've got to believe that and you've got to act on that. So that's what we're going to do right now. Father, I pray in the next 15 minutes that this will be the fastest I have ever done this, Lord. But they got the sheet in front of them. So in Jesus' name, may the word of God get into their hearts on how they can have victory in their life. Father, only you can do what needs to be done. If nothing else May they have hope that there is a way to live sanctification. There is a way to escape temptation. And Father, I am thankful that you are faithful. You are not going to allow anything to occur to these young people that other people have not faced. And there is a way to have victory. Lord, there's no way they're going to keep up. But God, may the Spirit put in the nugget wherever they want, and when they go to God nighttime, may they say, God, you are the king of my heart, develop the kingdom in my life, and Lord, may I use V-I-C-T-O-R-Y as the way to do it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. God's children said, okay, if you ever said this, mean it now. Look at the person next to you and say, man, you got to listen. Look at the person on the other side and say, put your safety belt on. Okay, are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? All right, here we go. V-I-C-T-O-Y. That's the way to have victory. V, you've got to go home and you've got to become vigilant. You've got to become vigilant. What does that mean? It means you're on guard. You're alert. Every keeper here, every goalie here that's ever played soccer knows what it means to be vigilant. By the way, a keeper has to be totally vigilant on that little soccer field out there. You can't, when the ball's on the other end of the field, you know, it's like, yeah, all right, hey, how you doing? You can't do that out there. You got to be vigilant and alert all the time because a ball can be kicked very easily from one side to the other and score. A goalie, a keeper, isn't that a cool name? A keeper has to be one who is alert, watchful, and vigilant to keep the ball out of the goal. Now, let me tell you something, young person. You may be sitting there thinking, Brother Schaller, I bet you have a bullseye on your life. I bet you Satan would like to destroy you. Yeah, he sure would. But can I tell you, your target may be larger than mine. I'm an old guy. I'm just about finishing this whole thing. You guys are starting out, and Satan knows. Get him. And I'm going to tell you this. Next week is huge. Next week is bigger than this week. It really is. Because, young person, Satan really doesn't care what you do on this piece of property. What Satan's concerned about is what you go home and do. You have got to be, everyone together, you have got to be. That's just not good enough. You've got to be what? You've got to be vigilant. You've got to be on guard. Now, let me tell you a couple things, though. Not only Satan, because the Bible says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about whom he may devour. Be constantly guard against your adversary. Make no provision for the flesh, Romans 13, 14. Know the way Satan attacks. 
Sometimes he attacks as a lion. I think that's that fear stuff, and we dealt with that yesterday. Sometimes he's a serpent. He's so subtle and insidious. But sometimes, and this is a tough one, he comes as an angel of light. All this religious garb stuff. You've got to be careful with this, and you've got to be careful of that on social media. And, and, and all these guys that are under the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I'm telling you something, you've got to be vigilant. But you know what I'm almost more concerned about? Know your weakness because of your age. Okay, because you're a teenager, you have weaknesses I don't. Because I'm in my 60s, I've got weaknesses you don't have. We all have weaknesses, and our age is part of it. Number two is your gender. We talked a little bit about this the other night. Guys, you will have to protect these the rest of your life. Girls, you've got to protect those emotions. Because of your gender, you have different weaknesses. Know them. Because of your personalities. Some of you are extroverted, really flirtatious. Be careful. Be vigilant about that. Some of you are real introverted, and you get really despondent, and you get real moody, and you get really, and we lose you because you're so introverted. Because of your personality. Hey, here's one you never hear preached about. I always preach it to the freshmen. And that's generational sin. Hey, guys, I can tell you what. I got a lot of generational sin that I had to deal with. And I had to say it stops with me. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Ezekiel 18, greatest passage on generational sin. It's even mentioned in the Ten Commandments. That these, if you don't obey these things, it's going to be passed down to the second and third generation. Every one of you have generational sin that you got to take responsibility for and say it stops here. My dad had the worst temper in the world. And you know what? Little Jimmy was having a problem with that. About a year into marriage, Marilee says to me, Jim, you got the same anger you tell me that your dad had. You need to deal with it. And you know what? My life began to change. And it's so interesting. My three boys do not have the generational sin of anger. And I'll tell you why. I took responsibility for what was being passed down through the Shetlers. And I said, it's going to stop with me. And you guys got to take responsibility. Some of you got parents that are really bitter. Some of you have parents that are alcoholics. You got to take responsibility for your generational sin and said, you know what? It stops here. Oh, there's so much to tell you. Okay, that's vigilance. I imagine the consequences. Now, I'm going to tell you something you all know, but, no, but everyone's afraid to say it. But we all know this. There is pleasure in sin. There is pleasure in sin. Brother Shadow, I don't really think there's pleasure in bitterness. Oh, yes, there is. Because you get to be the little keeper. You get to be the little witness in the jury. You get to be the little judge. You get to be the prosecuting attorney. And you get to hold court case. They're guilty. They're guilty. Now, it destroys you, but so will every other sin. There is a pleasure in every sin. That's why you do it. Because there's a pleasure in it. But here's what you guys got to start learning. You know what? I go home. I look at the stinking pornography again. I have self-gratification. And then I feel guilty the rest of the day. Okay, that's what you got to do. You got to say to yourself, you know what? There's pleasure in the sin. But the consequences after the sin aren't worth it. You know what? If I do this right now, I want to punch that guy right now. I am so upset with him. I am tired of her. 
I am, I'm, I'm going to start my own little rumor mill. I'm going to start my own little gossip on you. I'm going to render evil for evil, girl. Okay, do it. And there's a little pleasure in that. I got back at her. But man, the consequences aren't worth it. I'll tell you how you overcome and live victoriously. You imagine the consequences of sin. You reap what you sow. You reap later than you sow. And you reap more than you sow. Let me tell you. Be not deceived, teenager. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. If you're going to sow to your flesh, you're reaping corruption. And you're never going to be an exception to that. But if you sow to the Spirit, you're going to reap life everlasting. Young person, can I encourage you to imagine the consequences? Man, I got a lot of illustrations on that, but we ain't got the time. Go to C. Now, C, I'm going to talk about really quick because we're going to come back to it. Cry out to God. And by the way, it's not here. You got to get it. Psalm 34, 6. Psalm 34, 6. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Learn how to cry out to God. I'll come back to that. Let's go to the next one. This is probably the biggest one, and i got to spend uh, about four minutes. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. If you've got a moment, quickly turn to this because this is so good. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm going to start reading it, but it will be worth your while to turn to it. There's a couple phrases that are huge. I'll start reading at verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. No, no, no. We're not, we're not, we're not fighting other people, guys. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not fleshly, but mighty through God to the pulling down of, and you may not be there yet, but does anyone know what it is? The pulling down of? Oh, very good. You guys are there or know it. That's good. Pulling down of strongholds. Now, I'm big on definitions, so let me give you a definition of a stronghold. A stronghold is a lie in your life that you have concluded is a truth. A stronghold is a lie in your life that you have concluded is true. God will never use me. Lie. God will never forgive me. Lie. I, might, I deserve to do this sin. Lie. I will never have victory over this area. Lie. And when you conclude that that lie is truth, you got a stronghold, buddy. And let me tell you how I know this in great definition. Because look what it says. Casting down, and now I think you're there. So everyone together, casting down. Whoa, 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 whoa. Everyone together, casting down. Imaginations. That same word, the King James translators do something different with it in Romans 3.28. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified not by the works or the deeds of the law, but by faith. The word conclude in Romans 3.28 it's the same word as imaginations in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. I think that's the coolest thing in the world. Casting down conclusions that you have made that are based on lies. Teenagers, oh, it is amazing how many lies you guys believe. You believe so many things that the world is telling you, and you got to cast those things down. And here's how you do it. By taking, look at the rest of the verse. By taking into captivity every thought. Okay, so I believe this is the most important thing that you're going to hear in Morning Chapel today. So everyone look this way. 
Hit the person next to you and say, hey, pay attention. Okay, yeah, there you go, there you go. Okay, you ready? This is not my own. I heard this about 25 years ago. I heard a counselor say this one time. It's changed my life. How long does it take, Brother Shetler, for lust to conceive and bring it forth sin? Yeah, I always wondered that. Like, so how long, how long you got? So I'm going to tell you right now. You have four seconds. I call it the four-second principle. It's not my own. I was taught it about 25 years ago. It has changed my sanctification. I believe you have four seconds to deal with it. Now listen to me. It is hard to fight desires, almost impossible to overcome actions. It is really difficult to break a habit. And then that becomes your character and your destiny. You have four seconds to deal with your temptation. Oh, there, oh, it came back up again. I thought I dealt with it in that bitterness message on that one night at camp. But now I'm feeling it again. You got four seconds to deal with it, man. You got four seconds to take it in captivity and say, no, this is not true. I dealt with that at the wilds. I'm done with that. No, I'm not going to continue to look at her. No, I'm not going to continue to think this. No, I'm not going. You got four seconds to deal with your sin. If you take your thoughts into captivity in four seconds and get it out, my friend, you're going to see victory. Let's move on very quickly. The omnipresence of God. Joseph is just the coolest guy in the world. Joseph doesn't have a Christian college. He doesn't have a Christian school. He doesn't have a Christian home. He doesn't have a church. Guys, Joseph doesn't have the Bible. He's found in Genesis, okay? He doesn't even have the Bible. But how does he as a 17-year-old Jewish young man with blood flowing through his veins say no to Potiphar's wife, who I do not think, because of his position, she's an ugly person. How does he do that? The omnipresence of God. When she says, well, yeah, man, that's not true. We're not. No, no. Everyone else is gone. Joseph, it's just you and me. Yeah, that's not true, ma'am. How can I do this sin against God? God's in the house with us. And the omnipresence of God. You know what? Your counselor. Wouldn't it be some of you could have your counselor go home with you? If your counselor just lived with you. And your counselor was with you every time you got on the computer. And your counselor was with you. Can you imagine that? Brother Shell, I don't think I'd like, I like the counselor here at the Wilds, but I don't really want the counselor to go home with me. Well, you know what? The counselor's not going home with you. Oh, that's good. The Holy Spirit is. And the Holy Spirit's going with you guys. And the Holy Spirit's going to see everything you look at. And the Holy Spirit's going to be with you. Let the omnipresence of God. The next one is run from temptation because I'm running out of time. And this is really important. And look, that's why you've got the sheep. You've got to do this. Johnny Pope, one of my really good friends, said something. I love this. Uh, he said it once, and I said, Johnny, can I quote Johnny? He said, yeah, that's fine. Um, he says, God commands us to run from and avoid the presence of temptation. And if we are not avoiding the presence of temptation, God is not obligated to deliver us from the power of temptation. Oh, I love that. If you are not doing your part, don't expect God to do his part. If you're not running from the presence of temptation, then let me tell you something. Don't expect God to help you with the power over temptation. And I want to tell you, young people, the older I get, it's not about resisting temptation. It's about running from temptation. You guys got to run from some stuff when you get back home. You need to turn some stuff off. You need to get away with it. And then here's the last thing. It's the most important thing, and we're done. Well, we're not, but we are. Yield to the Spirit. 
Yield to the Spirit, greatest verse in the entire Bible on sanctification is Romans 8, 13. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if, there's the possibility, ye through the Spirit, there's the power, to mortify the deeds of the flesh, there's the process, ye shall live, there's the promise of sanctification. You allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life, and here's how it's done. You get tempted. Something occurs. You cry out to God. Remember, see? You cry out to God, God, help me right now with this. God, help me with this temptation. Now you hear this. This is the coolest thing about sanctification. The Holy Spirit will give you something to do. Turn it off. Get up. Get out of the room. Start praying for this person. That doesn't have anything to do with my temptation. Start praying for this person. Start singing this song. Quote this verse. The Holy Spirit will give you a step. If you take your step, it's impossible to please God without faith. You've got to have a step of faith to please God. If you take your step, God will do his part in the temptation and he will deliver you from that temptation. But if you don't take your part, don't expect God to do his part. God, will, you cry out to God, God, help me right now. I'm really struggling with lust. God, this is where I really struggle. And God will show you something to do. Start singing, start praying, quote this verse, get out of there, turn the page, delete, 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 do something. And if you do it within everyone together, well, how much time you got? You got four seconds to deal with it. Because after that, lust turns into sin and it's conceived and it bringeth forth death. Father, we just wish we had more time. I actually pray, Father, that all these young people would consider and go to some place after their high school days that will give them some more training in their life. Oh, Father, I am so thankful the Holy Spirit goes with them because it ain't up to me. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in him will perform it till the day, that, till the day of Christ. Father, let them know that no matter how marred their vessel is, you can become the king in their heart. You can reign and you can make again another vessel. We pray these things in Jesus' name. God's people said...